This is the Loud Pedal Podcast, a special Bathurst edition with your host, Chris Stubbs. Well, it's that time of the year, the favourite time of the year for everyone in supercars land. Bathurst is upon us almost, and this is a real treat for all our podcast listeners here on the Loud Pedal Podcast. Three gentlemen who, between them, have 153 wins, 78 poles, 11 championships, 13 Bathursts. I talk of Mark Scaife, Jim Richards and Glenn Seaton. A real buzz to have you all. Um, gentlemen, Mark and Jim, first of all, I'll start with the two of you, your teammates together. You won Bathurst together three times. Mark and Glenn, I mean, you were mates before you could even drive a car legally, that is, and, and all three of you fought each other for championships and Bathurst, so we love having you together. Mark and Glenn, growing up together, what was it like? You want to start, Scapey? You want no, to you, go, mate? You, you go I've probably first, got a lot stories about you and you've got about me. <laughs> you start, mate. You start. No, no, no. And then no. I'll correct you as you go. No, no, no. You start, Glenn. That's no problem. You go. Go for it. Okay. Actually, it's, uh, it's been a, a really good past, really, because uh, Mark and I, I'd, I'd have to say we probably met when Mark was about seven and I was nine. So there's two years difference between Mark and myself. And um, Mark's dad uh, came along and bought one of my dad's Capris. So it was actually the, the first Capri that he built in 1975 and ran at Bathurst and also throughout the 1975 uh, championship rounds. And uh, so naturally once uh, Russell came along with this uh, annoying little kid um, that used to come along with him and he's just like his father because they're very similar in personalities. So you could just imagine what it was like. But I would have to say over the early years and up until we become professional race drivers, I was probably a really good influence on Mark because he was such he's one of those kids that <laughs> never challenge Mark that you that he can't do something because uh, he'll ma- he'll make sure he proves you wrong. But uh, no, it, it was a fantastic um, uh, time we've had together as young guys and right throughout our motor racing career because um, we spent a lot of time together while our dads were racing out in the racetrack at Amaroos or in parks, places like that. And Mark and I were out the back in uh, usually our father's road cars, um, having a bit of fun out the back in the pits and places like that. So, um, but, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of history there and um, and uh, something that's very been very, very well, uh, been great for our family because we've had such a good relationship as in our dads together and also Mark and myself throughout our childhood. And uh, then, but uh, throughout our careers, we went off in different paths of one being a forward guy and one being a holding guy. Um, but we started at the same position as, uh, as as we did in our early days. So really started at karting and then worked through from there. But it was, uh, it's been really fun memories. And it's been a real buzz uh, right up until even today just to still call Mark a great mate. Yeah. And Glenn, thank you. And that's, that's um, obviously from our perspective, We've been mates for sort of 45 years. And if you think about uh, in professional sport, not many times do you have such a contrast of, you know, sort of growing up together, driving together, and then you being a factory Ford guy, driving a mobile cigarette packet for Peter Jackson. And and we were over in Holden land with Winfield and every level of competition was against each other. as, as car companies, as as tire companies, as cigarette companies, as everything, everything would have conspired to break up a friendship, you know. And, and at the end of the day, um, you know, we've been able to race hard against each other for so long. And 
and Richo and I spent most of our life in those red uh, red Commodores, you know, trying to beat your blue blue Falcons. So Absolutely. it was uh, it was it was fantastic. And I believe, Mark, there were some nights out in Pran as, as you went along as well. You might even have an, an admission perhaps to make uh, on the Loud Pedal podcast today. I know what this one's going to be. <laughs> uh, so, so Richo, you'd love this because you know how you taught me a lot about just being in the right place at the right time and being spontaneous and making the best advantage of stuff. Well, we, we would, uh, we'd go out, Anthony Tratt, Glenn and I, and we'd, we'd get on the juice and Sudo would start drinking Uzos and Uzos would smash him and, and he'd be standing there and his hands would relax and all of a sudden the Uzo would lob, uh, lob on the ground and he, he basically made his shoes more drunk than he was. And he dropped, dropped all his drinks. We'd, we'd all come home back, in, back into Paran and, uh, and Glenn would go to sleep. But it, my, re- my reveal on, on the loud pedal is that Traddy and I would grab Glenn's money out of his pocket and we'd go back out again. <laughs> So, does so, that so, so, why I'm so broke today? Well, I don't know whether it's you're so broke today, but we had a lot of fun on with your money. And <laughs> and you'd wake up, you'd wake up the next day and go, "Geez, that was an expensive night last night." And Tony and I had snigger and laugh. <laughs> yeah, they were good, they were good times, especially um, those early days in Paran when uh, we both moved down to Melbourne, and um, and Trady was already down there, and to to catch up together, they were. Now, good fun times away from motor racing. Hey, Jim, you and Mark paired up obviously quite early in his career. What was this wild kid from Wyong really like? What was his first impression on you? Well, I'd seen him basically and, and, and introduced to him just very quickly when he was running the uh, the laser series. And I think at Amaru, we used to go and run the Amaru Better Break series there. And I probably, I probably I think I first met Mark there then and was. Uh, I, mean, I was impressed because he started last in one race and ended up. I think he, I think he won the race. Did he have yeah, any panels left that were straight, though, Jimmy? By the time no, I, I don't know what cars, I don't know what cars they were, and you couldn't recognise it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, no. When I, mean, I, I knew of Mark's uh, testing and the conditions and the, and that, and when I joined, I only I got to say, Glenn, because I only really got to drive with with Fred Gibson because Glenn left. Glenn <laughs> <laughs> took the money and run. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, gave it all back to Skate for your trading. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the reason why I got the gig there, more than likely for, for sure. But uh, no, the Scafie and I got on great. I mean, I'm probably the same age as Scafie's dad, but it wasn't like a father and son um, friendship. It was more like just two two mates, and we we shared, you know, our, our cars. And uh, a, a few beers. Oh, hang on, maybe many beers. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was terrific, I and mean, it was the best partnership that I've had really, because uh, we had great success, and probably joined uh, Nissan at the right time. You know, it's uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really, really good. Mark, what did you learn from Jim? Oh my beer? God! Well, yeah. Well- had a drink. <laughs> exactly, so you know, I, I reckon I, I had I drank more Heineken's in that period than I've than I've drunk in my life. But you know, I I, I think part of um, motor racing that we that we don't really value enough is is genuinely learning and and genuinely getting better at stuff as you pro, as you progress. And and for for Jim, I. I learned so much from him. It was unbelievable. And and I think Glenn would probably agree that in that era, Richo was the best touring car driver in the world. Like he was just, he was just 
unbelievable and and competitive in whatever he drove. So when uh, when when finally Jimmy drove our cars, I thought, Jesus, this bloke's hardcore because he he smashed everything and and uh, and drove oh, the wheels easy. off the cars. Hey, take it easy. <laughs> but he, no, but it, but all he meant, all I meant was that he he drove the car so hard that he just left nothing on the table all the time and and uh, we didn't have data in those days so Jimmy had to be very open and honest with me as to as to where he was achieving the time and how hard he was driving the car and stuff so I learned a massive amount uh, about um, my you know driving technique and a lot of what Jim did uh, he was so honest with me it was extraordinary it was never a day that I felt that Jim wasn't telling me the truth if I asked him a particular question about a particular corner. So um, it was a great, it's, it's been just fantastic. We've shared such great memories and, and I learned also a lot about, uh, a lot about beer drinking on the tour. But also, Scaife, you, you remember the, you, you learned a fair bit at Lakeside that time when we were both running at Lakeside in the HR31s and you said to me, you getting through the, the uh, under the bridge flat? And I said, yeah, of course. He said, Jesus, I, I, can't, I can't get home. They've got to back off the throttle. And I said, uh, oh, you can give it, a, give it a go next time out. So I said, yeah, no, no, I'll give it a go next next session. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, I'm not going out in the next session. He said, why? He says, well, I, I said to him, I haven't seen a good accident lately, so I'm going out for, under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Richard, tell them about Tasmania when it was in the wet that time through the kick and I had that – and the the uh, left-hand front uh, uh, brake right. rudder exploded. Yeah. yeah, you and I stood there in the rain, and we watched people through that kink, and we thought, "Jesus, this is, this is fast in the wet, isn't it?" <laughs> and I, I was just behind Scavey at the uh, at the time of practice, and he whistled down the back because we were wondering whether we could get around there flat in the wet. And there's, there's no way I was going to. And I don't know whether, whether Mark was going to either. But as he was blazing around, he was going bloody quick, and uh, the front rotor exploded, so I blew the brake. You know, blew the brake lines off and he just went straight into the dirt and he was still going at like, you know, 180, 200k. And it just luckily it bounced along, went straight across the track and into the sand pit. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, the, I didn't know the, the, the disc had exploded. I thought he just gone around there flat and just arrowed off the track. <laughs> MS, question though, what did Jim teach you at the Tudor Inn? <laughs> we were uh, we were doing world championship wrestling, uh, Richo and I, and uh, anyone else? Had <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah, and we had Treddy and the old man there, and so it was uh, it was pretty wild. And we decided to put some bar stools as the corner of the ring in the front reception area. The black didn't really like that that much, so we decided to adjourn back up to the room. So we continued our world championship wrestling upstairs. He wasn't very happy, the caretaker guy that night, was he, Jimmy? He he basically yeah, come, he come and while well, he come and warned us a couple of times about the noise we were making and all the stuff. And one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, he arrived about one o'clock in the morning with a one a one wood because he was going to give us an attitude adjustment <laughs> with a one wood, and um, and he and Jimmy opened the door with those little the little chains on the security latch. So he opened the door up and he hung his head out and. And just said to the guy, "Can you keep the noise down out there?" <laughs> the bloke was off his brain. So we were we were banned from that hotel. Then we uh, that was the last time we stayed there, Jimmy. Oh, that was yeah, the the boys plucked the fish as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we plucked the fish off the wall when we won the championship, which was he probably wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> no, 
Don't know why. Don't know why. No. <laughs> I, boys, it's it's an obvious question, but having been lucky enough to be there myself, the, the buzz the first time just to see Bathurst, but when you're a, a racer and it's in, in your blood, to go there the first time, Jim, for you, what was it like, Mount Panorama? Well, when I first ran in 1974, we drove up from Sydney, obviously, and uh, had the trainer on the back of a of a trailer and, uh, and uh, we, we, us guys drove, you know, just a little Tirana. And so we drove around for the first time at night, the night before practice started. And uh, so you couldn't see a lot, but uh, you could see that it was barbed wire fences everywhere and there was, there was bugger all armco and bugger all you know, concrete walls anywhere. It was just if you went off, you, you rolled down the bank. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, as a young guy, you didn't worry about it because <laughs> there's no way you were going to go down the bank, you were going to stay on the track. So it didn't really worry us, but it was awesome. But of course, the next day it was even better when you got some daylight and we could actually uh, actually see what what was going on. But it was fantastic, really good. Glenn, for you, oh, well, <clears throat> it was pretty exhilarating. It was 1983. It was the first year at Bathurst to drive with my father in the in the Capri, and um, naturally, we've been there for so many years previously with his racing. So he was racing with the Ford team back in the late uh, 60s. Um, and naturally around Fredo and uh, Moffat in those sort of days. So they were sort of my childhood uh, heroes as racers and my dad. And um, then to get the opportunity in 83, and I'll tell you the story, this was, uh, this was true to my word. So my dad sent me out. Uh, it was actually raining the first time I got the opportunity to drive around Bathurst. So he sent me out in the, in the Yellow Capri, which was still got in the family today, which is fantastic, and uh, he sent me out on these old wets. I've driven around and gone, oh, yeah. And I used to like the wet, to be honest. I actually wasn't, wasn't too much uh, fussed about being wet. I'm hanging around Batterson thinking, Jesus, this, is, this has got no grip. I wonder if they're always like this. Oh, it must, must be just the way they are. And actually for a kid that's never been to Batterson, as in running around that racetrack, to be driven out the first time in the wet on an old set of wets, uh, it was pretty frightening. So I've come in after about doing about 10 laps and I've just come in and got out, got out the car and said, oh, Dad, is this what they're normally like in the wet? It's really, really slippery. He says, yeah, that's how they are. Just give me a go. So he hops in it. He drove out the pits. He drove around and back straight in the pits. He said to the guys, get those wets off. <laughs> it's true. They're not real good. So I found out later, the year the, the wets were five years old. And uh, he sent this kid out that's never been the baddest on a set of wets that was absolutely bloody dangerous. That he wouldn't even do a lap on. So that was my first experience of baddest. But, um, <laughs> very, very memorable because uh, there's not there's there's very few in in uh, motorsport that get the opportunity to race there with their father, uh, and especially for my first year, um, that was that was pretty uh, pretty pretty big part of my career to be honest to, to be able to do that and and also still have the car today. And it's also the car that Mark did his license in at Oran Park, and I also did mine when I got my Cam's license too. So there's a lot of memories in that. Not only that first time at Bath, but in that car and being a part of that with the family has been uh, been awesome. Yeah, and 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 the, and the back, sorry, and the backstory, Stubbsy, of that is is that Glenn's dad, you know, did did oh, obviously a, an amazing job with Glenn and took him right through his career and did all those things, and he did a huge amount for me too with with so much of my racing. But Glenn's dad is the tightest bloke on <laughs> the planet, so. So he's still got his first two bob tied up in the corner of his hanky from from play lunch, right? That's, that's and, true. Uh, yeah, ex- exactly. So that's why he would have had the five year old wet singing. I'll oh, send the old bloke out on those. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's, that, there's, that, there's no way I'm going to let him go as quick as me. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why you just drive out and come straight back in, Jimmy. Just yeah. make an excuse, you've got to get them wets off. <laughs> Jim, I mean, by the time that the upstarts kind of came along, you'd already won three in a row with, with Brocky 78 to 80. What, what are your memories of, of driving with him? Oh well, no, terrific. Obviously, we because we, we won you know, three races, and then I, I don't think we, we finished down the the, the 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 order in the last in the '81. But uh, to go up there, I, I'd hardly even met Pete by then. I, I think the only time that uh, I, I, I'd met him, to be honest, and did not have a chat with him, was we had to drive from Perth to Melbourne in an old XP Falcon because the pilot strike or something was on. And uh, Brocky was crazy. Like, there was kangaroos everywhere, big potholes, and he's flat in this XB Falcon with Bev and young James in the back on the back seat. And uh, and so that's that was my introduction to Brocky, you know, <laughs> apart from saying, oh, hi, hello, Peter. Uh, um, so to go up there with him, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, I, I only did six laps in practice the, the whole time, and uh, that's all I needed to do to qualify. And then I don't think old Brocky did any more than about 15 or 20 and as, as a ship, I had the car, that's, that's how we're going to race it and uh, you know, don't wear it out. And they polished it. So and come the race, we just hopped in and blazed around and Brocky was in front and he came in and handed it over to me and I kept it in front and handed it over to him and away we went. So it was, it was almost too easy. What made him so good? Well, I think that the, it's like most most guys. I mean, you, you, uh, you have a lot of natural talent and ability and, of course, uh, you need the budget to run, you need the, you know, good cars. I mean, the, the easiest way to win a race is to have the best car, the best team and the most money and, and a lot of talent. And Brocky had that. Well, 1985 wasn't your best year. Just have a listen to this. There might be a good story to come from this. Oh, trouble. Oh, up at Hell Corner, there's a hell of a pile-up. It's two of the BMWs. Richards and Fury. It's Fury in the Crichton car at the moment with the red helmet on. Unbelievably bad luck for the JPS team. There's another car sandwiched in there. Well, that's the Davison Kramer Mustang, which has been there since the start of the race. Oh, the teammates. Goodness me, the BMWs have put themselves out of business. That's incredible. All right, Jim, tell us, what happened there? Well, what happened was that we come out of, um, I, I just, I think it was George was in the car, wasn't he? Yep. Yep. And I, I just passed him going up the straight. And as we were going up the straight, I was seeing this puff of smoke. And it must have been, I thought it was a brake locking up or whatever. And so I just kept pressing on and uh, got to the braking area and there was a Mustang in the in the, uh, in the sand. And uh, so I just turned the wheel to go in the corner and it just slid, slid straight across. So the, the blue smoke I seen was actually someone to dump some oil or water or something there. But I, I could have gone straight through the, the, the sand pit but the bloody Mustang was in the way. <laughs> so I had to stop. When I stopped, Georgie came hammering around and punted me in the, in the, in the passenger door, blew all the glass apart and everywhere. And I said, we both got out. I said, quick, George, get, let's, let's get out of here, you know. He, and I said to him, come quick, give us a hand quick, because to get my car out, then George had, no, you know, had, a, had a better go at it. And I said, come on, come on. So George is digging away, digging away, I'm digging away. Then the truck come, comes, and I, so I hopped in. The truck pulled me out and I pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and George was stuck there. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, to- that, that's, that's totally that- a New Zealand thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> it's totally a New Zealand <laughs> thing to do. There were so many cars here. We had to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you think MS that he just said, oh, come on, give me a hand? <laughs> uh, I, I might have been a little, little harsh on that. I would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Glenn, um, you made an impression very quickly up there. Uh, 87 uh, on the slicks across the top of the mountain in the wet. I think you gave, uh, I reckon it was Gary Wilkinson, I think um, you gave him a little bit of a, a scare, I think. And let, let's have a little listen to poor old Gary. Oh, goodness. I used to drive a go-kart. He's as safe as the Bank of England. Well, I hope you're right. He's a, one of the good old boys from karting, Glenn. I hope, hope you're right for Phil Gibson's sake. Oh, don't prove me wrong, Glenn. That was still more to it yet. <laughs> oh, they got to Conrad when I went in the grass. <laughs> I was going across the top, mate, and it was pretty wild. That was, that was pretty cool vision. Yeah, I suppose when you when you're young and 22, and uh, I just um, coming to the end of my stint, which was was dry all my stint, and once you got hot tyres in the wet, it's amazing how much grip you still got. So um, naturally, being 22 and not knowing any different, uh, you just press on and get on with what's what's happening. And I saw these cars trickling along, and I was like, "Same as I, come on, get on, get going, guys. What are you doing?" Because we still had a fair bit of grip, and um, I've got to say, once down Conrod, it actually did get away on me and I actually got into the grass and it just it's one of those moments when you go so stiff and you just coax the thing back onto the asphalt, which the other two guys would know. That's, that's what happened that day and I thought, and, and Fred did say, when he, when he came back in, Fred did say to me, you hear me on the radio? I was telling you to slow down. I said, no, nah, Fred, I didn't hear, hear a thing coming from the radio. And luckily in them days... The radios weren't that great across the top of the mountain, so you didn't hear any of that uh, that stuff coming out from the pits. So, um, I know it was, I suppose it's one of those memories that that people do bring up a lot uh, uh, the, over the years, and uh, I suppose it's just one of those good things. But probably Mike Raymond was the most of the vocal stuff that was on that was was sort of coaxing me through because of my cart days. But I've got to say, I was out of control. There was no doubt about that. <laughs> That was the flair of Glenn, wasn't it, Mark? That was that was what he was known for, right? Oh, that was. Uh, I mean, both the gentlemen on our podcast today have always had extraordinary car control. You know, for for Jimmy and for Glenn, you know, two of their their sort of key ingredients to their careers has been, you know, their immense technique and car control and the mastery of those conditions. And and for Glenn, I mean, I've I, remember watching that vision thinking oh my god this is going to be the biggest crash of all time and um he had hold of it and, and i mean almost full opposite lock between reed park and mcbellamy park you know the big moment on conrod straight where he's off into the grass i mean there was just there was just so much just innate skill which was uh shown off by Seto that day it was was incredible it's some of the best vision of all time, it was was unbelievable. Now, eighty-seven. I'm going to divert away a little bit from Bathurst because it's a year that Jim and Glenn would remember well from the grand final at Oran Park. Uh, who wants to <laughs> Who wants to take on that topic, boys? Well, I, I can take it on. I hate Jimmy for that last day at Oran Park. He took me out. That was all it was. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, like at the end of the day, um, that was a really good year in competition between the BMWs, us, the Sierras, all that sort of stuff through the Group A days. And to come down to that last round at Oran Park and for both of us to have the opportunity 
to win the championship was really great. It was really rewarding. And, and like, at the end of the day, I drove as hard as I could on that day, didn't come up with the results, and we weren't going to come up with the results because even though what happened with Jimmy and I having a rub together, um, my thing actually did a turbo before the end of the race anyway. So it was actually not going to Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to know about that one, did you? No, but um, like I say, the racing that Jimmy and I had that year was was really enjoyable. We 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 had some the there was area there was circuits where the BMW was uh, really really strong, and there were circuits where the um, the Skyline was strong, and it just come down to that last round at um, at Oran Park um, for for both of us, and uh, and Jimmy came up with trumps, which was like I say, good luck to him, and but not only. At Oran Park, it all finished. We went to Bathurst, and the, the and the Skylines and the BMWs were very even in pace. And yeah. I remember that first stint, we were all together, passing each other for that whole stint between the, all the BMWs, Jimmy, myself, yep. uh, Johnny Jakota, George Fury. We were all there together in the mix, and that was so enjoyable. Eighty seven Bathurst as well, just amongst us group. Um, because the Sierras, the, the nationally Eggenberg ones, were gone. You're never going to hang on to that no, sort of pace. Exactly. But uh, that whole 87 era was was a real highlight in my career. Jim, how hard did you punt in? Uh, just enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. What had happened was that I, I got a, re, a reasonable start and um, I muffed going into the corner before the bridge at Oran Park. And as I went up there, Larry, Larry Perkins came arrowing up the inside of me so I couldn't turn and he pushed me right out on the grass on the outside. So I dropped back to about seventh or eighth and Glenn and Georgie were in the front sort of slightly pulling away. There's no way we'd ever, ever caught them. But slowly, Julian, you know, past one here, past one. Then it started to just get sprinkled with rain. Not heavily, but it's enough to make my car a lot easier to drive than Glenn's turbo car because the boost would come on so quick that it would start wheel spinning. And mine, I could have a lot more control on the throttle. So I managed to catch up and, and um, then, yeah, Glenn had a little bit of a rear brake lock and I started in the hole and, uh, yeah. I mean, the silly part about it is that it bent my steering, so I could, I, I could have just have fallen out as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Glenn, did he, did, he do his, did he do his traditional uh, gentleman Jim walk up and say sorry? Because that's what he taught me to do. You know, when you when you punted someone, when you punted someone, gentleman Jim, who's just no, no gentleman, how that ever got to be gentleman Jim, you never know. So gentleman Jim would walk up and say, mate, sorry, I really didn't mean that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. I was just about to bring that up. He's such a gentleman. And the way he puts it to you, you got to say, hey, I, I know, mate, I know you didn't really pump me off. As he walks away, you go, <laughs> 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 he get all, got away with it all his career. Exactly. <laughs> nah. Before they got, before anyone's got a chance to give you a, give you a ripping, this guy's made him so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no way that I meant to do that, you know. Perfectly polished too. I was looking at the uh, the media interviews at the end of the race. Thanks to sponsors straight away. Really sorry about what happened to Glenn. But the turbo <laughs> went, so he wouldn't have won anyway. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd make a sound a lot better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, then we get to 1992 at Bathurst and this. I'm just really stunned for words. I can't believe the reception. I thought Australian race fans had a lot more to go than this. This is bloody disgraceful. I'll keep racing, but I'll tell you what, this is going to remain with me for a long time. You're a pack of assholes. Hey. Hey. <laughs> well said. 
Uh, how do you feel now when you hear that? How do you look back on it? You hear it every year. You hear it multiple times every year, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it, 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 you know, like I, I was angry because basically the the crowd wouldn't let us have our say. And when you're up there, as you boys know, you've got a microphone and you're talking into it and you can't really tell what you're saying. Not, that, not I was going to say that anyway, but it was the spur of the moment thing. And I reckon probably two minutes after that, Scaife and I were having a beer and laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But but uh, the backstory obviously is that he stopped me from filling up my pockets and chucking beer cans back at them. So that everyone sort of knows that one. But, but it's also you, sorry. If you had have taken those cans in your pocket, especially the the beer cans, and thrown them down the thing, your your your, your career would have been destroyed. <laughs> well, that's what Freddie Gibson said afterwards. He said. There are two things. You stopped him from throwing the beer cans and you were the one doing the speaking. So if, if he was allowed to talk, that would be the end of his career. Daryl Eastlake said that. He said, Jimmy Richards saved your career that day. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing, Jimmy, that you and I are a good influence on Scafi all those years. You kept him out of trouble and I kept him out of trouble the earlier days. Well, you so, just warmed them up, warmed them up for me, you know, just... Uh... <laughs> I think my favourite part of it is the look on Scafey's face as you're saying those words is just all times just like, and that's that little wry smile. He's like, I can't believe he actually said that. Is that what you're thinking? Oh, totally. I mean, for Gentleman Jim to give the crowd a burst like that, <laughs> and, and, and you think really in Australian sporting history, you think about, you know, AFL or NRL grand finals where the captain or the coach speaks and, and have you ever heard, you know, what, what one of Australia's, you know, preeminent sports people smashing the crowd up like that? And they thoroughly, they thoroughly deserved it. I mean, that that day was deplorable. And 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 it it come from a couple of things. It come from Neil Crompton walking out onto the podium and giving them all the bird, which that <laughs> that didn't that didn't, didn't help. help things at all. And then, yeah, that did, absolutely, Richard. Didn't it? And, and you and I, we were standing inside the podium area and we could hear the disruption when all that was unfolding. And then Dick, Dick Johnson conveniently forgot the red flag rule that he won the race in, you know, 10 years prior. So he's wound them all up also. And then by the time we got to go out there, we just knew it was going to be chaos. It was just out of control. And, and Leon Daphne and his beautiful wife, Kerry, were right down the back and the crowd were chucking Kansas and stuff. And and Kerry's got the umbrella out, whacking blokes for that. It was just fantastic. I mean, it was it was pretty wild. Yeah. Jim, how has it defined you? Has it in any any way, shape, or form? No, you mean that the speech? Yeah, at the moment. It's just it's it's iconic, isn't it? Not just Bathurst and our sport, uh, but yeah, bigger. But, uh, yeah, you didn't think that it ever would be. The only, the only thing that I thought about is when the, when Todd Kelly and them started running the Nissans, I thought I might get a job as helping them with their public speaking. But, uh, <laughs> <that didn't work. laughs> well, you, you, you made up for it uh, 10 years later, though, when the two of you combined, didn't you? <laughs> what, what did you say? Give us the lovely, line again. Lovely, lovely people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, forget, don't forget that after I'd called them a, a pack of ourselves, the next year, a lot of them had T-shirts which, which said, I'm an arsehole, Jim told me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you remember of, of 10 years later? And, and was that preempted? Had you talked about, let, let's say something or refer no, back? No, no, no. No. 
we, we, we absolutely didn't, Stubbsy. We, I mean, 2002 was such a, you know, was was such a cool race. There was so much going on, and at the end of that race, you know, we didn't look like we we're going to get home with all those plastic bags in the front of the car and stuff. Um, and when Richo and I won, I mean, it was just for, for us ten years on. It doesn't get to be a better story than that. And then when Jimmy was able to make amends with the crowd was uh, was fantastic. I mean, you know, if you're a Hollywood script writer, you you wouldn't write a story like that that you could come back ten years on and uh, and do it. Two thousand and three, um, so only eleven years after the Arsoles incident. Uh, most people think, oh, qualifying lap of the gods, but there was another standout performance in the shootout. There wasn't there. There was a certain fifty-six year old who out qualified the the team owner and a man twenty years. Younger than him, I, I believe the records. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> if, 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 if I hadn't used all Scafie's data to get my cartoon to perfection, it probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just plug in his settings and off you go. Yeah, oh. whenever, whenever I'd come in and, and Scafie would say, Scafie fiddling with the car, the guys, the guys would say to me, How's the car? What's it like? I said, No, it's good. He, he said, Do you want me to do anything? And I said, Yeah, do to me whatever you're doing to Scafie's car. <laughs> <laughs> But how's that, Glenn? So you you think about that. We all, we all talk about you know young blokes coming through the sport, and you you know I mean you and I when we were young, we were coming through when you know Brock and Moffat, Jimmy and Perkins, and all those guys were going, and Colin Bond and all those guys were going so well, yep. and we were really fortunate in that era to be able to race against those Absolutely. those super superstars. But but for Jim to be in another in in our cars. Yeah. And out qualify me when he was fifty six. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, it's 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 bloody unbelievable. It's just fantastic. Hey Jimmy, did you get called back in two thousand and four again or not? Yeah, yeah. Well, two thousand four and five, and I, I hit the wall on over five and said that's it. <laughs> that's right. Because in in uh, I think it was oh uh, seven, and we tried to get him back for Sandown. Remember when uh, yeah. when, yeah. when you got crook mark with the with the. Um, Pendicitis and, and trying yeah. to give me across and drive with me at Sandown, and he didn't want to come out of that retirement. You're pretty sad. Yeah, and you know what it's like, Glenn. Yeah, you, 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 you go there and you sort of you're there once a year. Yeah, and other guys with the cars every day of the you know every day of the year, and you think to yourself, well, if I if I can't do justice to to what I'm doing as yeah. a, a good trader, I'd rather not be there. Yeah, and, no, totally uh, understand. Yeah, totally understand today. Yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was a great, you know, fantastic times. Yeah, you all were around the time of, of Alan Jones, and you all had history with Alan Jones. And I'll uh, I know where we're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go off on another little tangent here. Simmons Plains, nineteen ninety three, because it, it ties. Glenn, you're tied into this as well. Scape, you're already smiling. Uh, you know where I'm, I'm going with this one, don't you? Tell me about your running with uh, Alan Jones. You had a few that day. He punted Wayne Gardner as well. Yeah, look, I mean, Jonesy was was a really hardcore competitor, and and that was one of the great things about him, and and you know why he achieved so much success. But but on that particular day, he was totally out of order. You know, he 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 bumped the, my car coming out of the hairpin and continued to bump it until it spun and fired it off the road. Um, and I, you know, probably always been a bit of a below average loser. wasn't very I wasn't very happy about what he'd done. And when I come back into the pit. Um, I told, I said to Fred, I said, I'm going to go in front of him. And Fred sort of tried to stop me. He said, no, no way. So anyway, I, I went and, uh, and gave him, gave him my, 
my rendition of what I thought was fair and what wasn't fair. And it was, it was probably pretty close to actually being fisticuffs because uh, it was uh, it was one of those days where I, I wasn't very happy with the Formula the former Formula One world champion with with his antics. Well, funny you should say that because this is uh, this is what uh, the commentators of the day had to think about. Uh, after the last heat, let me tell you, there was plenty of uh, dialogue going on between Alan Jones and Mark Scaife. We can't play the audio to you, but I'll tell you, it was pretty cherry. And uh, and Mark uh, really uh, telling uh, Alan about what he did and you watch out, pal, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> that's your mate. You watch out, pal. There you go. Um, Glenn, how was that for you, though? Because that was your teammate, but you've got your mate who's bluing. Did you get wrapped up in that? Oh, well, I, naturally, I was torn between the two of them because uh, Alan was my, my teammate and Scapey was my mate from the, all the years previously before that. But, hey, he drove for me, so I had to just go, hey, it's your, it's your problem, mate. You deal with it. <laughs> but that wasn't the only one that we had with Alan. There's many occasions of Alan. There was one at uh, WA one year. And he arrived at the track without his pass and uh, and he decided to get into verbal abuse with a bloke on the gate. And he actually ended up punching him. So, Alan, over the years that he was with me, we had some pretty interesting moments, I've got to tell you. <laughs> um, you would all have history with kangaroos at, at the mountain. You, you can't race for the amount of times that you guys have been there without at least witnessing one. Uh, Jim, two thousand and Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, no, just up there, young fellow minding his own business, and all of a sudden the kangaroo jumps on me. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just, uh, I, I seen it just come out of the, off the, off the, off the bank. It was just like a, a black blur. But of course, one car had gone past, and he sort of just jumped out, and he jumped right onto the track in front of the car, and absolutely buggered the front of it, pushed the radiator back, buggered everything, crazy. Where was it, Jimmy? Where, where, where did you end up running into it? Uh, just out of turn three. Okay. Sorry, start again. Turn two. Up, up right. The turn two, going up the hill. Yeah. yeah. Up, going around. towards the cutting, wasn't it? Going up towards the right. cutting. Yeah. 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 Just, just, before, just before the first thing of the cutting. Yeah. Is it something that people internationally have brought up with you guys a bit about the kangaroos? Because it's, it's, it's when you step back from it and think about the, the moment and the race and how big it is, and how important it is in the culture of this country. I think that you can have kangaroos in the middle of your playing field is, is pretty outrageous. No, it certainly is. But I don't think they showed it very much because as soon as it was shown and the, the kangaroo got bit the dust, <laughs> uh, they, they'd stop. They, they didn't want to upset the animal welfare guys. And they just, so you've never seen it again. I've, I've never seen that. It's a kangaroo thing. Yeah. yeah. We've only ever seen near misses, haven't we? Yeah. 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 We've done a pretty good job of yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, 1995 was, it's quite often, Glenn, it's associated um, for you, unfortunately, with other heartbreak and, and growing up in a, in a Ford family myself. Um, I remember vividly as a 12-year-old as one of the, the races that I first um, can recall. But for Mark and Jim, you guys had heartbreak in, in that race as well. Is that one that for you guys that got away? 95, I think that's when the, the gearbox or the rear tail shaft, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah tail yeah. shaft, yeah. We're, look, we're looking good until then. Oh, we'd almost lapped the winner. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Jimmy started, we were scheduled to do one less pit stop than everybody. One of Jim's best mates had uh, done 
a lot of work with us over the two-year sort of period prior, and uh, we had an inlet manifold and and uh, engine package, which was pretty impressive of the day. It wasn't just about the power, it was about the fuel economy, and we were scheduled to make one less stop. So um, we were going really well. The car was great. Uh, we're, I was a, about 100 metres away from uh, lapping Larry Perkins and um, and uh, tried to pluck my left leg off coming uh, come, coming uh, onto the straight just through the kink at uh, Conrad and it broke the tar shaft and started buzzing its way through the floor and I had my feet up and trying to get out of the way and all that stuff. But it was, uh, yeah, it was certainly one that got away for us. And then, yeah, I mean, the three of us, you couldn't have a, you couldn't have a worse not in 95 because it was probably in all the years, it was a, it was a race that was there to be won uh, by Glenn. And, and I just remember those, you know, emotional and beautiful scenes of, of Glenn's dad, you know, crying in the, in the pit area in those days, because, uh, it was so close. I think what you were close. It was almost ten laps, wasn't it, Cedo? So nine to go. Yeah, nine yeah. to go was six seconds in front. Um, yeah. It's it probably it more so. It was a family thing for that year because it was um, thirty years since my father won Bathurst. He won in nineteen sixty-five. Yeah. I was yeah. born in nineteen sixty-five. Um, I was car number thirty, so there was all these thirties lining up. And the Bathurst City Council and Channel Seven. Uh, put together an incentive of $30,000 on top of the prize money uh, or take home the Cortina, the actual original Cortina that my father had won Bathurst in 1965. So when you sort of get that close, and it was also the end of the cigarette era, so that was the last uh, Bathurst we are going to run under cigarette sponsorship because of the ban. So had nothing for for 96 as in sponsorship at the time. Uh, so we didn't really, really, really know where we were going in motorsport after that uh, that year. So, um, yeah, to get that close, and actually Bathurst in the past histories is if you win that event, everyone knows who's won Bathurst, but not many win know who won the championship or or what races you win throughout the year. So it was uh, it was a bit of a it was a lot that went on through that, and not only that, father working in the in with the son in the in a race team and. And being a part of all that, who's won Bathurst, so all that uh, really uh, weighed on that day for us as a family. Really, well, I tried to soften it out of respect. I didn't want to just bring it up with a bang. That's why I said <laughs> it was a bad day for the other boys as well. But clearly, you're happy to, or not happy, but you're willing to to talk about it and look back on it. And and how does it sit with you these days? It doesn't haunt you. You've been able to kind of process it and accept that that was racing. Absolutely. You know what I've. I've I look at motorsport on, I've been so lucky to be able to do my hobby, my passion. Um, everything I want to do has been in motorsport. And to be able to even have the opportunity, there's so many people out there that haven't had the opportunity to even race at Bathurst, to be honest, or, or even being that being the main race. So to have that opportunity to be able to do the career that I've had and be a part of motorsport um, and win the championships that I've done, Yep, and, and people always come up to you and say, oh, I remember that 95 Bathurst. Yeah. If I won Bathurst, it probably wouldn't have got the reaction that it does get today by the, the loss that I had out of that Bathurst. So I look at it based on I've been very lucky and I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've had and and uh, and to be a part of the sport. And also, as Mark said earlier, as we came through and had the Brocks, the Johnsons and the Bonds and all those people, and then we were the first introduction of the young guys coming through. So we got to go through Group C back in the 80s, then we went through Group A in the 90s, and then we went through supercars in the 2000s. So to, to have that career to go through those phases of motorsport now at a professional level in Australia is, is a great honour to be a part of, to be honest. Um, 
I'm not sure, Jim, if it's your place or if it's Glenn's place. Whoever's got the cockies in the background, I know we just said about animal activists and <laughs> get a shotgun and get rid of that bloody. Strangling a magpie or something. Fly out there, get get rid of them if it's your place, Richard. Um, <laughs> I magpies around here, mate. Scafy for you to see. Glenn, in that that moment, you must have really. I mean, everyone felt for him. Yeah, look, well, we were obviously already out and uh, we were basically back in the garage watching what was unfolding. And, and I thought at that point for sure, you know, Glenn was going to win. Um, and I, and I, you know, with all the competition, Ford versus Holden, cigarette companies, all the things, I was I was so pleased at that at that time. And then when I saw it come to a halt, I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was, um, you know, there's no doubt. And, you know, I hope Glenn doesn't, take it the wrong way but there's there's no doubt that you know he, he is far and away the best driver to never have won Bathurst I mean it's and I know um there were so many times at Bathurst where he was in contention to win there's so many times at Bathurst that he was on pole position you know he, he had an affinity with the racetrack um and it was just one of those ones that you know it's a cruel sport sometimes and that was a cruel very very cruel day well, Glenn, obviously 95 will feature in your upcoming book. You've decided to put pen to paper. Cedo, the official racing history of Glenn Seaton. Did it take a little bit of arm twisting to do this? It, yeah, it probably did really because, um, like I say, I'm, I'm a reasonably private guy and uh, just sort of and, and probably a bit of an introvert, to be honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, to, to Aaron Noonan actually put it to me uh, to put together a history of my career and also my cars, really. So it's sort of all amalgamated into one. But uh, I've been re- I've really enjoyed putting it together in the words and things like that because it's brought me back to my early days of motor racing. Like as you get older, sometimes you don't think back of where you've come from and where you've started and what you've done and what you've you've come through. So to be able to do that has been a real highlight uh, for me um, because you forget a lot of things. And uh, but I've I've I haven't held back on a few of my uh, opposition. I've got to tell you and. Uh, there's naturally there's a there's a Ford icon in Queensland that uh, I had a fair bit of trouble with over my career and probably even in my first time in the Nissan at Sandown, uh, I had a bit of an incident in the first corner with uh, and, and Dick was involved in it and he certainly paid out on me so I I, I put all that in the book but uh, no it's it's I, I think it's a good read I've, I I and naturally I'm biased <laughs> but uh, no it's it's been a long time coming. Well, if, if you didn't like it, you're not going to sell many copies, are you? So, <laughs> Noons, uh, so I'm sure Noons uh, will be very happy that you've, that you've jumped in there. Um, Mark, I believe you've got a book coming out shortly as well. So is it, can we have a little wager here about who sells more copies? <laughs> oh, Glenn will, Glenn will for sure. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, it's, it's funny, we didn't conspire and, uh, and we ended up uh, dragging books out similar times. But I, I actually, uh, in this latest book I've done is uh, I've actually got a lot of my friends and colleagues to do uh, excerpts in the books and, uh, and the That's way dangerous. that that could be well, dangerous. you should see some of the stuff they've written. It's out of control. <laughs> so they, they smash, it, it's very self deprecating because okay. they smashed me. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's actually, well, you might've been the only one, Glenn, but there's plenty of other, Plenty of other stories and plenty of other fun that's come out. It's great. Like there's three copies that you've just sold here. If they're smashing <laughs> you up, we're uh, we're all on board. Uh, Jim, are you? Uh, where, where's your book? Are you waiting for the Hollywood uh, blockbuster? 
No, no, no. I'm a bit like Glenn, a bit, a bit private, just, and I'm a bit worried that I can't remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> when did that stop anyone? Yeah, well, I had a, I had a little book out from sort of the, my go kart days up until about 1985, I think, and it was a good little book. Um, but no, I haven't thought thought about it. Yeah, I was worried that I'm going to forget somebody that had a reasonable input, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so. did you and Richard and, and in your book, did you have a sort of a user's guide to doing the unicorn? You know, where you taught me you put your Heineken on your forehead and then just break the seal and let the beer run down your down your face and go in your mouth. I've got I now I've got a little trap on my bottom lip that I can actually catch that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm saving that till, till the next book. <laughs> uh, a chapter on the unicorn. Those days, Scaffy, where I was sweating like a pig. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the beer ran down below me. <laughs> Didn't have air conditioning back then. We just had Heinekens. Exactly. <laughs> hey, boys, we better talk about this year's race. Um, I'll put it to you. Who wins? We'll start at the top as we're looking at the screen. Jim, who, who wins this year? And you don't have to say Steve this year because for the first time in... Hundred years, there's no uh, no one from your family racing. No, exactly. But uh, but no, no, it's, it's great. You had a great run. Um, but I, I, I think realistically, I, I think it's got to be out of uh, Penske and Red Bull. Um, and I think either car could probably win. Pick one. Give us a name. People people will want to put their money where your mouth is. I'll go with I'll go with Jamie and uh, Craig. All right, Cedo for you. I'd go with uh, Scott and uh, Tim Slade. And Mark? Yeah, I, I agree with Richard. I, I reckon uh, Craig and, and Jamie are going to take a lot of beating. It, it's going to be an extraordinary year. When you think about it, Stubbsy, there's 20 of the 25 combinations are new. So there's hardly any stability in the field in terms of co-driver combinations. In the history of the sport, there wouldn't have been a time when there's less driver seat time for those co-drivers through the year. So they've got a huge amount of pressure on them with very little time in the cars uh, in, in relatively strange surroundings for, for most of them. So um, you know, I wouldn't like to be a co-driver this year because there's a huge amount of pressure. And, and I, I reckon as, as a sport too, for Scott to win prior to this, you know, the, our biggest race, our, our grand final, is, uh, is actually great because everyone goes into the event with a really carefree attitude about just trying to win uh, uh, the the traditional, you know, biggest race in, in, in this part of the world. Mm. You mentioned, Scott, obviously going for back-to-back. Last year was <laughs> full of controversy. Jim, for yours, where did that sit? It was a, well, they got penalised. They were found to have breached the rules with the, the safety car there. And where did that sit in the history of, of Bathurst and controversies as, as you've been part of yourself? Well, I, I didn't think it was right the, 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 the way that it all transpired. And uh, I suppose a sport, a sport that went a little bit for uh, Scotty and the guys. But, uh, hey, you know, what they did I thought was terrible <laughs> to you know, back up the field and so one guy can get a bit of an advantage from it. But uh, that's the way it goes. What would you have done, Jimmy? <laughs> I, I've, said, I've said plenty of times that if any of the hardcore racers were, were right there and doing that, you would have punted Coulthard straight to the fence. I probably would have passed him. Yeah, it wasn't on. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, team orders or whatever it might have been, or protecting protecting your your seat. Um, no, nah, not on. But hey, it happened. It's over. It's all done and buried. Cedo, what what 
about yeah, you? Yeah, I, I certainly don't disagree. I don't agree with um, of what happened. Um, and like you, you can, you can, you can drift some time out in other areas, driving into pit lane and things like that. That they could have banked them up a bit anyway to do it on the track. So obvious, like they did. Pretty silly move, and it was it was disappointing because I've never seen a situation like that in our time in the sport racing, um, and anyone would do that sort of thing. So to see that backed up so much, um, it, it disappointed me. To see that yeah. see that big race uh, from what it's been for so many years, and the and the and the iconic moments that that race has made for motorsport in Australia, that that was a real negative. Um, to see that happen. Yeah, and, and Glenn, I, I think the, the point you make there is really valid because there's sort of honour amongst thieves, isn't there? You know, you, we, we're, all, we're all trying to beat each other and, and, you know, you two guys are two of the most competitive people, you know, in the history of the sport. But, but you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to, mm. to achieve a victory. No. Um, there are plenty of other things you'd, you'd do, but you wouldn't, it wouldn't be, A, as blatant, it wouldn't be as, as, as obvious and yeah. it wouldn't be sort of almost outside the scope of the rules, and yeah. and, and I reckon the Queensbury rules of you know of, of boxing or the or the rules engaged in normal sport, we all we all get it. And yeah. mainstream Australia, mainstream Australia, they are, they're they're very savvy. You know, people mm. actually watch the race and they go, "Oh, that's just not right." Mm. And and the the amount of comment after the event was extraordinary. Mm. Well, and that's the thing. It was found. It was the obligation of fairness, wasn't it? it? Was what they got they got done on. They lost the team points. They lost, you know, fined three hundred thousand dollars. So they got the biggest whack in the history of sport. And it sounds like you all think that's fair enough. What about the future of the sport and the cars, Jim? That that we might see racing around Bathurst in not next year, but the year after that and and beyond with this next generation. What are you excited about seeing? What would you like to see? Listen, I haven't really got any uh, any, any any thought on it to be honest. I'm so I'm sort of not really involved now, and uh, but, but I suppose realistically they need to have, uh, I suppose, a category that is cheaper to physically run a car, uh, which allows more people to have a chance of getting into it. But the way it is now, you can only have 20, so there's 26 cars anyway. So, um, yeah, but I haven't given it any thought, to be honest, but there's, there's reasons why that it perhaps should go a little bit more like NASCAR in a way. Um, but who knows? I, I, I definitely don't know, but I'll enjoy watching it. <laughs> and the reason I ask too is you guys have been through so many reincarnations of the sport through Group A as we went into to the V8 rules and, and so on and so forth into Car of the Future. Um, we know that there is a massive thirst for the sport and we know that um, that it will evolve and that it will be embraced. Glenn, what, what sort of cars do you have a, a strong view on, on what you want to see at Bathurst in a couple of years' time? Well, I... And it's only just recently I've been able to think about what the opportunities I had to get to race at that event, and it was very easy. Um, today you cannot do that. It's impossible. So I look at it on a structure of to go to that race and have an opportunity to even be a co-driver maybe, you've got to spend a fair few million dollars to get there. So you've got to, you've got to probably potentially go through Super 2. Um, that budget a year just to do seven rounds of that is just crazy for any family unless you've got a very wealthy family and and not a lot there's not a lot of them in, in australia at the moment and, and probably when you look at the numbers they've got just shows that like the 12 cars at some of the rounds this year so naturally it's definitely gotta cut back some costs 
um, on a build and a, and draw and running one of those race cars. I've been lucky in the last few years to be tied up with TA2 or Trans Am, if you want to call it. And the principle of that build, and I'm not saying that that's what the car needs to be, but the principle of that build and the cost to build that car and to run it is unbelievably quite cheap to go motor racing. Um, they're hardcore. They sound good. They're, they're fat wide. Um, they've got a tyre on them that moves around a bit and you've got to look after them. Um, so if we stuck with what we've got today, it's unsustainable moving forward for any young guy to come through and go motor racing, to be honest, unless you've got a checkbook behind you. And, and that's what you've got to look at. You've, back in when I first came into it, they had 55 cars. They were, they were different classes and things like that. My dad and I could actually put the, the Capri on a trailer and go up there and race and just enter for that weekend. Uh, you can't do that anymore. Um, so it just needs to be looked in the basis of cost-effective build of a car. You can easily run them. You don't have to have a factory team to run them or a AAA or a, or a Penske to run them um, um, to give the opportunity in the future that, uh, that, that you can actually compete at that event. And MS, we've just got a new rights, naming rights sponsor for the Bathurst 1000. We've got a new TV rights deal. We farewell Holden this year in their official capacity as, as a uh, manufacturer in our sport. It's, it's, a, it's a big one, but the future, it looks, it looks pretty strong, doesn't it? There's a lot of momentum just recently getting behind this sport. Well, Stubbs, I, I follow on with what Glenn was saying and... and uh... I, I agree that it's unsustainable based on the cost levels now. So, you know, what we do need to do with with the next generation car is to reduce the costs and and create a, a more of a level playing field between the haves and the have-nots. You don't need to be a Red Bull Holden racing team or a DJR team Penske to win. And that probably needs to bring those costs per year back to levels similar to what we raced in 94 and 95. You know, a couple of million dollars a year should be the maximum. So... So if you take that into account on the cost side and then you look at the revenue side, which is what you're focusing on, so Fox and Fox Sports, biggest single commercial partner of the sport, uh, Channel 7 and, and Fox joining up to uh, amalgamate a new media rights deal, which is very positive for the game. Um, you know, the Repco announcement obviously is, is fantastic. Um, there's a lot of, you know, po positive stuff out there from a, from a business perspective. But again, you know, what we've got to be really careful of is we are in the entertainment business. You know, we, you know, when you talk about cars that we will want to we want to see in the future, to me, the cars that we need to see are, are bundled into what I call affordable aspirational. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to we've already got Mustang, it's been really successful. Ford fans have got behind the sport. It's an incredibly successful sports car for the Ford brand and for the and for that nameplate. And what we need to do is have a GM equivalent, so call it a Camaro, what happens with the Toyota Supra, what happens with a Jag, what happens with an Alpha, what happens with a BMW, what happens with a Benz, you know, what happens with a Kia Stinger, for instance. So there's so many cars that are, that are savvy cars that people love, but they're not Porsches and McLarens and Lamborghinis and Ferraris. So you, you, you need to be careful about where we position our sport next. And there's a lot of work and thought that needs to go into making sure that's done really well. Gentlemen, is there anyone that you didn't get to drive with at Bathurst in particular that, that you would love to have had the chance to be a, a co-driver alongside, Jim? No, not really, to be honest. I had, the, you know, 
was co-driver and and uh, driver. And uh, no, for what I've done, I you know had you know lots of different guys, and, and I've been in both situations where I've, I've been just a co-driver or I've been a a lead driver. But uh, no, I, I I don't think of it that way. No, there's no one that I would have liked to drive with that I didn't drive with. That's a pretty cool position to be, Glenn. Was there someone uh, at your time? Definitely, and actually, Mark's here on this podcast, and Mark would have been uh, someone that I would definitely have loved to have driven Bathurst, and, and if we could have won it, it would have been brilliant because of our history of our, as kids, coming up through the sport with our dads being great mates and us being great mates throughout all our younger life, through our karting, right through to being at Nissan together, right through the whole scenario of our motorsport career has been mostly very similar to following each other where we went. So to have that part of my career that we could have said that we drove together and, uh, and, and had that time, that would be pretty important to me if I could have done that. And, Mark, I hope you're now going to say the same about Glenn because that could be oh. awkward. <laughs> no, 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 100%, Stubbsy. I didn't know who was going to go first, but for sure, for me, uh, you know, to drive with Glenn up there and, 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 and not just about our mateship. Even when we were young blocks, we sort of used to sort of theorise and, and, and imagine, you know, going to Bathurst and winning together. Um, so uh, that's, that's something that, um, that, we, that we weren't able to do and that's something that, you know, I think it, in, in time, you know, it, it does haunt you a little bit because it's one of those ones where we would have loved it. And, uh, and, and those bonds, I mean, you know, for Jim and I, you know, we won three times together. They're lifelong bonds when you, when you win those sorts of races. So yeah, for Glenn and I, that was one that, uh, one that got away. Mm. Guys, did anyone else want to bring up any other stories or throw any more mud before we wrap up the podcast? <laughs> there's probably been enough done, but there's another opportunity if anyone feels that they haven't been able to say what they wanted to. Well, I'd, I'd say that um, I, I think I've been a great influence on Mark over the years. Of, I remember there's many times that we went out and Mark was uh, anyone, as I said, puts him up to uh, temptations. I'd always be there to have to, come on, Mark, just, it's okay, mate, just let's let's move on from here and keep going. Otherwise, and I think Jimmy probably did the same when he was in that time of era where, where any time he challenged Mark, you just can't challenge him. you just got to pull him back and go, hang on, Mark, there's another time we can do that. Let's move on. But to, no, it's, um, we've, we've had our great times together in <laughs> road cars, outside of racing. Mate, I remember I can bring up a few of them. If we, if we want to. No, no, Mark, you don't, need, have you you don't need to. You don't but need he's to. Also, I remember he's also a fellow competitor. He, Mark's also been in some of mine too, Jimmy. So I remember the time we hit the bus shed when I was driving. Remember that, Scopey? In one of Nissan's cars and we are working out how the cross can we fix this before we go back to work on Monday and not have to show Fred that I've just hit the bus shoulder. So there's been many times. Oh, now, just get Mark to talk about the uh, the statesman with his dad's statesman. No, 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 no hey, Glenn. Uh, please, and the laser, please. the first laser he had. First Whatever laser. happened to Ron Onslow? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'll just, I'll just tell you a really good story. I remember when Mark was first looked at to come down and work at the Nissan race team and be one of the drivers. So... We've all gone to, I'm pretty sure it was Oran Park actually, and Fred's just told the guys in the team, 
Here's our next protege we're going to bring into the team, uh, Mark Scape. Just watch him this weekend and see what you all reckon. So they've all gone up to the fence to watch Scape in the laser race. So <laughs> Scapey get, get, was used to get along pretty good in the lasers, but in this race, he's brought it back with the whole front hanging off it and the whole back hanging off because there's a bloke actually tipped him. He's, he's given this bloke a nudge going into BP Corner to get him out the road. This bloke who I think was actually Peter Day at the time, hooked up under the back of him and sent him straight into the fence. So all the boys have come back from the fence to Fred and said, and you're thinking about employing that kid? <laughs> 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 but, Thank uh, you, Glenn. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been pretty cool. Very hey, cool. St- Stubbsy, uh, have, have you noticed that I've never approached Glenn to be my manager? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> and then I know why. <laughs> I, I've always, I've always looked up at at, at uh, Richo as a real father figure. He's taught me so much. I've, I've, I've held him in such high regard. He's been my mentor. But Glenn, on the other hand, no, there's been a lot of stuff that hasn't been quite right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been a lot of good stuff today. You've, you've all. Shared your stories, had a lot of laughs, and hopefully everyone at home's learned a bit along the way as well. Gentlemen, you're all legends, and I thank you so much for your time and being on the Loud Pedal podcast today. Thank you.